This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes here on WKXLA and FM, streaming live over the internet and coming to you from our bunker deep beneath the earth on Reddington Road, right here in Concord, New Hampshire, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches, call 224-9111. And I'm really pleased to be joined by someone who dubs himself my most forgettable guest, but that's not true. Bob Graffy, welcome back to Off the Record. So this isn't the first episode of My Forgettable Guest. No, no. You've, we've, I've been here twice before, so this is the third episode. That's right. This is, not your first, this is not your first rodeo, and we're glad to have you. Now, I mean, I, just because I'm kind of interested, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about politics. And, and I'd be, you know, I'm always curious to see what my independent-minded guests think about this, because I have a rather hyperbolic approach that, that tends to be somewhat one-sided. But I can't help but think about uh, our Carrot Top Cantaloupe, the president himself, sitting in his bathtub, uh, in his bathrobe, surrounded by empty McDonald's styrofoam or paper, now paper packaging, empty packages of large orders of French fries, the tall cardboard cups of Coca-Cola strewn carelessly around the White House bedroom, the gilded curtains closed, the covers pulled up on his duvet because he won't let anybody touch it but himself, a few scattered cartons from the Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, left around to add to the odor of fast food that must permeate the bedchamber of the commander-in-chief of our armed forces, and all the preservatives in that fast food filling him up with a chemically-infused Twitter rampage. And lately, his Twitter rampages have been about his favorite topic, immigration, because as you know, he wants to build a beautiful wall. He wants to build the world's biggest wall. He wants to build a wall that dwarfs the Great Wall of China. And not only would this wall dwarf the Great Wall of China, but you'd be able to put guard towers on top, guys with guns, but not just a wall, a wall with trenches and dogs and troops and barbed wire and giant spotlights, a wall that would put the East German attempts to stop their citizens from fleeing to the West to shame, a wall that would put the Israeli attempts to protect their borders from the influx of Palestinians to shame, a wall that would make Xi Jinping want to add many feet to the Great Wall of China to make sure that his Chinese empire was protected. Trump's Great Wall would stop 
the caravans of pitiful Honduran refugees now passing through Mexico to try to escape the oppression, the gang violence, the rape and the murder of their families from happening because, as they say, we're hoping that Mexico or the United States sees our plight and grants us asylum. One even said this morning, we're hoping that God touches Donald Trump's heart so that some compassion enters and he understands that we don't want to hurt the United States. We don't want to harm anybody. We just want to keep our families safe. But lest we forget who we're dealing with, on the day before the interviews happened with these poverty-stricken, fleeing refugees from gang violence in Honduras. On Fox News, the head of our Border Patrol went on Fox News and started spewing venom about the caravans and the people who are coming to the United States, claiming that they were criminals who were murdering people, uh, claiming that the border was porous, making all kinds of claims um, about this caravan. And wouldn't you know it, after Fox News took up the cry, our chemically infused carrot top cantaloupe filled to the brim with McDonald's and Coke and KFC jacked up on the monosodium glutamate and preservatives went on a Twitter rampage that sounded exactly I mean, exactly. I mean, people, this was, quote, verbatim from Fox News, talking about the caravans and the border and what we had to do and why we had to do it. And what we've got is not presidency by reflection, presidency by advice and counsel of wise counselors. We have a presidency by Fox News. It is clear from the word-for-word repetition of this president of the Fox News broadcasts that he is simply, he must think he's running a different kind of reality show. This one's called The Presidency. And on my reality show, if I listen to Fox News and that's what I listen to, it's my favorite show because they seem to agree with everything I say. I'm just going to retweet Fox News. Folks, I don't need a president to retweet Fox News. If I want to look at Fox News, I can go to Fox News. I can turn it on myself because I've got cable. Thank God I've got cable. I can turn Fox News on and I can turn Fox News off. But somehow, neither I nor the bulk of Americans, nor the journalists, nor the media seem to be able to escape the crazy tweets of President Donald Trump. Bob, am I being hyperbolic about this? Am I over the top? I mean, it's president by tweet. What does a smart, independent person think about tweeting retweeting Fox News as policy for the United States. Well, it used to be from God's lips or from from my from your lips to God's ears. Now it's from the Fox Morning Show to Donald's tweets. You know, it, it, the I guess I mean rant notwithstanding, it's it's wild that you can put words into the president's mouth just by saying them a few hours earlier on the Fox Morning Show. I mean, it used to be, 
Uh, folks, let's go back. Let's, that's a rewind sound, okay? There's a, okay, we're rewinding. Not so long ago, presidents made the news. They didn't just retweet the fake news from Fox. I mean, this is this is like this it's is crazy. a it's this crazy. is a nutball episode of a bad TV show. It's crazy. Who can believe it? You can't. And you forgot the Oreos. The Oreos uh, that he will only take the first sleeve out of because he doesn't want to touch Oreos that somebody else might have. If the package has already been opened, he'll start a new package. Can't you see it? Late at night, late at night in the White House, and 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 folks, I I have to tell you. I, I've been fortunate enough to visit the White House. Um, I, on, on a number of occasions, I was the guest of for our former President Obama, so you can call my view and vision skewed. I'm, yeah, but And uh, years and years ago, I had a complete tour of the White House and uh, saw the kitchens and every part of the White House. And the president basically... You know he he's got twenty four hour room service. It's like it's a pretty it's a it's a pretty good place. Now now I know President Trump doesn't like the White House much because he leaves every weekend to go to Mar-a-Lago where everything is um, uh, touched with gold. It's like a genie with a Midas touch. Ping! It's gold. Ping! It's gold. Ping! It's gold. But by the way, he's replaced the curtains in the Oval Office because blue Royal Navy blue wouldn't do it. They had to be. It's gold. Everything's got to be gold in Donald Trump's life. It's it's like he he he's got a he's got a poverty stricken view of what uh, wealth and riches really mean. What it means is we'll touch everything with gold because after all, we've seen pictures of his Versailles like apartment at the Russian dominated Trump Tower in New York. You know, it must have been. I can imagine. I'm just sitting here imagining Donald Trump's conversation with his interior designer for his apartments in Trump Tower. Well, I, I, there's got to be gold. Oh, comrade Donald, we are happy to make your apartment gold. We have gold mines in Siberia. Our political prisoners, you know, they mine lots of gold every day. We can comply and supply you with gold-embroidered brocaded curtains, gold-embroidered brocaded blankets, gold-embroidered brocaded upholstery for all chairs. Everything here will be gold. Don't worry. You you will you want to sit on the toilet? You get gold toilet seat. Every part gold, gold plated. You are Mr. Gold Plate. Donald and we, the Russian Interior Decorators Association of Moscow and St. Petersburg, from which your diplomats will be expelled, but still, we will supply you with all the gold you possibly want. Now, in the White House, it's a little tougher because you can't just order up gold stuff. You got to go through the general accounting office and comply with ethics rules, and you can't accept the kinds of gifts from the Russian. Gold Interior Decorators Association that Donald would like to get, which he was happy to get from Comrade Vladimir Putin and his electoral efforts. But in terms of the interior decorating, the White House is a sad, pitiful reflection of what real riches mean. But still, because it's like a hotel and there's 24-hour room service, he can call up for Oreos day and night. Uh, just just one sleeve, and it's got to be unopened. I don't want anybody touching those <laughs> Oreos. I mean, you, the poor guy. 
I mean, what's it like to live on McDonald's, Coke, French fries, and KFC, the four essential food groups? It might, it might actually cause some mental deterioration. Although, although, let's be fair, Ronnie Jackson, the new appointee, the nominee to run the Veterans Administration, uh, whose qualifications include being a doctor and being a doctor, and having said that Donald Trump's health was remarkably good, what he should that have his said. Payout, his payoff was to <laughs> His payoff, his punishment, you know. Was to run the VA. Is to run the VA. Oh, Ronnie, uh, I'm gonna, I'll get you I'll back. T- I'll tell you you got a good bill of health if I can run the VA. That, you know, you gave me the proctologist exam. I told you not to. Okay, you get to run the VA. Just take on, you know, 200,000 employees, the second biggest agency in the United States, with no experience whatsoever. Ronnie, look at those medals on your chest. You're a smart guy. You're a good doctor. You said I was okay. You must know how to run the VA. It's like poetry. You said I'm okay. Now run the VA. How hard can it be? I can run the country. You can run the VA. <laughs> how tough. This, this, how this is tough. a very easy job. This is an easy job. Yeah. Come foods. on, Come on up. Spend the evening with me. We'll watch Fox News. We'll figure out what to do take about a, the VA. Take a, take a, take a spin in, in, in the airplane. Yeah. Oh, and by the way. The airplane travel for government employees, it's fabulous. You can go anywhere, anytime, with anybody you want. Oh, oops, it's it's an ethics problem. Who would have thought it's an ethics problem? I, I, I simply don't get it. But wait a second. If you're Scott Pruitt and you're running the EPA, ethics, we don't... We don't care about your stinking ethics. Take your ethics and put them where the sun don't shine. I mean, Scott Pruitt is so busy rolling back the environmental laws that protect our air and water. He probably didn't think that, ta- that spending $50 a night in Washington, D.C. for a room that is rented to him by the wife of a lobbyist with business before his agency... No problem. <laughs> and only the nights that he stays there. And only the nights that I stay there. I mean, it's not like I've got to rent the whole place. I'm actually, think about it, I'm saving the taxpayers money. I mean, after all, I mean, it's only $50 a night. And so she's married to a lobbyist. Ethics, schmethics. This is the Trump White House, folks. And whether it's Fox News or Ronnie Jackson and his medals or Scott Pruitt and his $50 a night, we have the most crooked, corrupt government that this poor country has ever seen. The end of that government can't come soon enough. People, vote your conscience in 2018. Put a stop to this somehow. Put some control on the carrot top cantaloupe. Bob, thanks for listening mostly to my <laughs> rant. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXL AM and FM, brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community, designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. We'll be back after a break with... A real guest, Colin Van Ostern, talking about his run for Secretary of State. See you shortly. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM. 
streaming live over the internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com, and still coming to you from our studios deep beneath the earth on Reddington Road, where we own the world's largest pothole. Be careful if you come, you'll need a Sherman tank. And we are brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. And I'm very pleased to welcome to Off the Record our guest, Colin Van Ostern. Colin, welcome to Off the Record. Thanks so much. Colin Van Ostern is a supremely accomplished person. Among other things, he was the Democratic candidate for governor in 2016. He narrowly lost to the current occupant of Concord's corner office. Uh, He has been an executive counselor of long and outstanding service to the state. And what most people don't know, but I do, is that Colin Van Ostern is secretly one of the world's great drummers. He played his way through college and graduate school. He doesn't talk much about it. It's the thing I'm most interested about. Uh, But we're going to put that aside because Colin... Uh, is has undertaken a new challenge. He is running for Secretary of State. Colin, what is this about? We've had the longest-running Secretary of State in human history uh, in the current occupant of that office, Bill Gardner. What's this about? Why are you doing this? And uh, what do we gain from a different Secretary of State? Well, first, let me say quite critically that uh, I know how the fact checkers are. uh, And some of what you said in your your introduction just is not true. It is true that I drum or that I did. I'm not sure anyone would have ever described me as a great drummer. And I I think that truth in advertising is important. So let me just start there. I played the drums. I played the the drums well. There's a difference. Um, I had a lot of fun doing it, which is what's what's important. Uh, So to the issue of the day, I think there's a huge opportunity. And honestly, in recent years, I think it's been kind of an open secret in Concord that there's a need for modernization of our Secretary of State's office, um, that we could have some better cooperation with local and town officials, especially on things like when you have a blizzard in the middle of town meeting day. Uh, And finally, that we need to stop what's been a pretty controversial political agenda around restricting the rights of eligible voters. Uh, And all of that is happening, let's be honest, under... Uh, you know, a president who is saying things that are not true to the American people about our elections and who voted in them and who won and who didn't. Um, And I think it's very important in 2018 that we elect a new secretary of state who's going to modernize the office and respect local control and do a better job of standing up for election rights. So let's go back to some basics. Um, What does the secretary of state do? What's what's the job? Why does it matter? Well, the easiest way to think about this job is quite literally, it's the secretary of our state government. So when I was an executive counselor for four years, we would meet and review state contracts and vote on appointments. And we had someone from the secretary of state's office there as our secretary. Uh, This sounds boring, but it's an example of the sort of thing that matters a lot. Uh, When I started on the executive council, Uh, Not only were we getting our contracts that we would vote on 10 or 20,000 pages worth dropped off by a state trooper on Friday afternoon and you voted on them the next Wednesday, but they weren't online in the same form that the counselors who would be voting on them were. 
which means members of the public couldn't even really navigate through the votes that were going to be upcoming. And so that's a, a simple example of the sort of thing that I worked hard to change. And I think it's important. One of the reasons that we have lost trust in our government is because there's a lack of transparency and because consumers expect certain things today in 2018 that they're just not getting from our government. Uh, So when you need to file a new business, get a trade name, get your certificate of good standing from the state, these sorts of things, you shouldn't have to navigate through a website that looked like your bank did in 1998. that sort of basic function of government is vitally important. Uh, this, the office also manages our corporate securities division, it manages our archives, and it manages the administration of elections. Uh, and lately it has uh, taken a very proactive role in lobbying the legislature on behalf of a variety of new bills or laws that make it harder for a lot of people who are eligible voters to register to vote. So uh, it's actually eye-opening to think about all the ways that the Secretary of State affects life in the Granite State. I I hadn't, frankly, put it all together in that concise way. I mean, I've, I've registered on a lot of businesses and trade names and dealt with the Secretary of State that way and have always marveled at how primitive uh, the interface was for me to do fairly simple things. As you said, it looks like, you know, a bank a bank website at the dawn of the computing age. Uh, it's not particularly user-friendly, although because I'm brilliant, I've been able to navigate it without a problem, but that's only because <laughs> I've been using computers since the dawn of the computing age. But Well, uh, part of the problem, if you think about it, when you don't have competition, things get stagnant. And that's the, you know, if there only was one bank in the world that you could ever use, they probably wouldn't have a very good website either. No one has even competed for this job in a serious way since 1984. 1984? That was the last time there was a competitive election for Secretary of State. I mean, that must have been, it must have figured prominently in Aldous Huxley's book, uh, <laughs> 1984. An, an, an auspicious year. An, an auspicious, auspicious year. An inauspicious year. Um, I mean, so Bill, Bill, the current occupant, Bill Gardner, has has been there for wait, is that eighty four, ninety four, oh four, fourteen? Wait, that's more than thirty years. Well, that was the last time someone seriously challenged him. I see. He was elected in seventy six. Wait, in nineteen seventy six, which was three years before I was born. Um, that's <laughs> a long time. So he's seen he's seen many many seasons come come and go. Sure, and he's done great service to the people of New Hampshire in various parts of his job over the years. You know, uh, there's a un. This is not a traditional political campaign, right? We're not going to be running TV ads. We're not going to be doing parades, and that you won't see yard signs up. Come around on, Concord. if you don't run TV ads, <laughs> I'm sorry. how I'm are sorry. we? How are we going? What are we going to complain about? But uh, you know, we're also not going to criticize the motive or the character of the guy I'm running against. He has adopted specific policy positions and procedures that I think are wrong for the state. Uh, And I think the reason we have elections is so that our incoming lawmakers can take a look at our priorities and make a decision which they think is more reflective of what will be a well-run state government. And I've talked to, you know, I talked to a Democratic state rep two days ago who said he set up an LLC last year and it gave him more grief than he ever would have liked. And I talked to a Republican state rep the week before who said he's a moderator in his local town. And the last thing they need is a state bureaucrat telling him that in the middle of a blizzard, they can't move town meeting day. 
if that's what they've done in previous years. And there hasn't been a change in the law. Uh, so I think that there is a lot of openness to change. Uh, I, you know, I think there also will be resistance to it, and that's part of the process. And I've got thick skin, and I'm independent, and I don't mind, you know, taking the arrows sometimes. Uh, but I think that's what we'll need in our next Secretary of State. So this is a statewide election. So it's not on the ballot. It is a statewide office, and it will be elected by the incoming legislature. Well, that makes this for a very interesting campaign because rather than um, it sounds like what you need to do in a political sense, in a process sense, is make sure the issue is and the issues are um, uh, on the top of the public's consciousness, so that they make sure to talk about it with their candidates, probably both Democrats and Republicans, so that whoever comes in and then elects the Secretary of State has in mind the need for change. So um, it's truly a a very, very different kind of animal than other elections, which makes it quite fascinating because it sounds to me like it's a totally bipartisan effort. Um, there There are really not there i mean there are some issues which have taken a partisan cast and we can talk about them in terms of voting and voting suppression and 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 those uh, those issues and even the issues of voter fraud which have been cast as kind of political issues but in terms of your election uh, and your approach to the campaign you've got to really appeal to the citizens and ask them to appeal to the candidates uh, without even knowing who's going to get elected well, that's true. That makes it a little harder for us. It's probably one of the reasons that there hasn't been change in 42 years. Um, but I'm really excited about it because I think it's important. Uh, so I'll give you an example. You know, the sorts of things I mentioned, we're not going to be, you know, in parades and running TV ads. I'm not going to be going around the state with a big briefcase full of checks, handing them out to people running for office. But I am going to be focused on grassroots organizing, raising awareness on issues. And I'll give you an example. In 2016, none of the major parties in New Hampshire had anything in their platform in opposition to partisan gerrymandering. This is where, you know, every 10 years, lawmakers get together and basically draw the lines of the districts in order to protect themselves or whichever party is in power. Which districts? Uh, Districts for state senate, state house, executive council, and Congress. Um, And I represented a district that was deeply gerrymandered. I represented a squiggly, dragon-looking district that went everywhere from the Vermont and Massachusetts border all the way across the state to Rochester and and Durham and Dover. It was crazy. Uh, One of the efforts we're working on right now is trying to build grassroots support to urge the political parties to adopt an anti-gerrymandering plank in their platform. And I think we've got a decent chance that one or two, probably not all three, but maybe we're going to try, that parties will, in 2018, for the first time ever, say that they are opposed to partisan gerrymandering. There's a better way to do this. We can do it with more independent structure. So it's not just political manipulation. And so that we're not stifling the the voice of the people. And if we can do that, if we can get those platform planks inserted for the first time or help the grassroots organizers who are doing that work, that's the beginning of how you bring change. Uh, And it also will educate people on the issues. It'll get more lawmakers engaged in some of these issues of free and fair elections. And then when they're elected, not only are the voters more educated about it, but hopefully they'll elect lawmakers who share that, what I think is a nonpartisan platform that we're pushing. It, gerrymandering is is clearly an important issue nationally, and it's important in every state. Um, the I, I think 
you probably know the statistics better than I do, but let's just say over the past 30 years, have there been mostly Republican majorities in our uh, state house? Yes. And that probably means that over the past 30 years, most of the lines that have been drawn for districts have been the result of work by Republican majorities seeking to protect their Republican majority. So this is true, but we should also be honest about it because you and I have both been in politics and Democrats have done this in other states too. Absolutely. I I thought – so Martin O'Malley, who was in New Hampshire this week, uh, wrote an op-ed that I thought was uniquely honest – he said when he was governor of Maryland, he signed into law a map that got rid of a Republican congressional district and added a Democrat. And he knew what he was doing at the time. And the Democrats that controlled the legislature in Maryland knew what they were doing. The only way you bring change is not trust that the party in power will somehow become righteous and not greedy. It's that when you're not in power, you make clear what your values are and make it clear to the voters what you're going to do. And then, you know, if a different party controls the House or the Senate next fall, we'll have, you know, got everyone on the record saying they're in favor of, of an independent redistricting commission or opposing partisan gerrymandering. We've got to do better. And throughout our country's history, there have been times of corruption by the Democratic Party. There have been times of corruption by the Republican Party. It's usually whoever's in power is the one that's most corrupt. Power uh, corrupts. <laughs> it does. And I think this office is one that has a responsibility that is not to the political parties. It is to the people. It's a great New Hampshire tradition. By the way, it's why we have the first in the nation primary. We wrenched it out of the convention back rooms and put it in the voting booth before any other state did. And that independent-minded citizenry, we're the heart of democracy. We should fight for that. And we need a secretary of state who's going to be strong and fighting for it, too. I'm talking with Colin Van Ostern here on Off the Record. Uh, we will be back after a short break. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back after a short message. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet archives at ConcordNewsRadio.com, coming to you from our bunker deep beneath the earth, safely ensconced on Reddington Road, right here in Concord, New Hampshire. We're talking with Colin Van Ostern, who's running for Secretary of State of New Hampshire. We're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour. Celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Well, Colin, we touched on the important issues of gerrymandering. I want to turn our attention for a moment to another issue that really has been in the news a lot, and that is the issue of voter fraud, what to do about it, whether it exists why it um, has been become such a topic. And I think it's fair to explore the role of the current Secretary of State um, in that entire debate. Um, uh, we will fondly recall that in uh, the run-up to the 2016 election uh, for governor, 
our current governor, Chris Sununu, famously claimed that there were thousands of voters being bussed in from Massachusetts to illegally vote in our New Hampshire election. That cry was heard by a candidate for the presidency on the Republican side. His name, though I dare to mention it, um, well, I won't even say his name, but he's now the current occupant of the White House. I fondly call him the Carrot Top Cantaloupe. And among the fake news and lies and distortions that he has peddled to a gullible citizenry uh, has been this notion of voter fraud. And he impaneled a commission. And the commission was going to examine voter fraud nationally. Now, most of us in New Hampshire don't believe there's voter fraud in New Hampshire, and the statistics seem to bear that out. But our current Secretary of State said that he would join President Trump's voter fraud commission, and he said that he was going to essentially be a voice of reason. What was wrong with that? And, and, and why, is this, why is this an issue? What's going on? Well, what's going on is a good question, so let's start with the facts. Uh, One individual has been convicted of -of out-of-state voting in New Hampshire in the last decade. That's out of about 6 million votes cast. Um, So uh, it's not true to say that it has never happened. It's not true to say it's widespread. And it's definitely not true to say folks are being bussed over the border from Massachusetts to vote here. So you have to ask why some of our most senior elected leaders are saying things that are false. Uh, and the reason is because they're trying to assert an agenda that makes it harder for eligible voters, uh, college students, senior citizens, people who've moved recently to vote. Uh, imagine for a sec that, you know, democracy is one of our most precious assets. Imagine we were running a bank instead of running an election. And someone told you that it won't. I, w- I wish I was running a bank. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, because as Willie Sutton said, that's where the money is. So. And, and maybe people would be more rational about this. Uh, and imagine someone had said, look, you know, out of the uh, out of the millions of transactions of the past year, somebody once did try to rob a bank. Uh, so the answer would not be, well, let's not have locks on the doors. Of course, you'd have locks on the doors. We have to run secure elections. But what they're trying to do now is put, you know, guards out front with guns and barking dogs. And they're saying you can't even walk on the block unless you have a current driver's license from that state. Meanwhile, the back door is wide open. Uh, we have some of the most insecure online s- storage of our voter files in New Hampshire of any state in the country. Uh, and, and so you have to wonder why we're leaving the back door wide open. Our state has refused to even cooperate with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security to examine or harden how we are storing our voter file. Uh, we are participating in a cross-check partisan system that where basically they compare across different states. It has a 99% error rate. I've had Republican town clerks tell me they've had hundreds of voters flagged on their voter voter file and been told to remove them from the rolls, and they checked and they were wrong. So the back door is wide open, and yet we're putting more and more barriers on the front door. I think we need to look at this not from a partisan political angle that the president and others are pushing, but we need to look at it the way you would if you were running any other business, which is secure what's not secure right now and make sure you're still accessible to your customers. Uh, And that is how we should treat our elections. And that's the approach that I would take as secretary of state. What happened with the commission? Well, they were disbanded because it was kind of a political joke and everyone knew that. Uh, They met here in New Hampshire. Uh, You know, I mentioned earlier, I'm not going to question Bill Gardner's motives or his character. Uh, I think he probably thought he was trying to help. 
but, you know, essentially what happened was there was partisan gasoline poured on a political fire. And there was all this discussion that was really just based on a political agenda, not based on data. Uh, and I think that made the problem worse. It made people have less faith in our elections rather than more. So uh, he actually was sued. To, he wanted to turn our voter data over to the Trump Voter Fraud Commission. I think it was the ACLU sued. Then the commission was disbanded. And then uh, he ended up having to turn over the, the same data. There was a, a mess up along the way where some of the voter rolls that were being shared had handwritten notes with private information of individuals who, for example, might not want all of their address available if they've been stalked before. Uh, you know, there are these details that may seem small out of a million voters, but uh, for individuals, they're incredibly important. So didn't I just read in the news, because I do read the news, that uh, Secretary of State Gardner just released yes. all the files that he was going to turn over to the defunct, phony Voter Fraud Commission? Well, essentially, they prepared the files, and then reporters... Uh, being what they are, which is wanting to get to the bottom of things, uh, file the right to know request saying, okay, show us the files that you prepared and that you were planning to turn over. And so they they did. They turned those files over to the press. Uh, As all of this was happening, we were refusing as a state to to cooperate with the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, We were making it harder. And and the Secretary of State's office was testifying in favor of new laws that restrict eligible voters' rights to register to vote. Um, I just think this is a a set of misplaced priorities. I mean, there are things we could be doing. What I hear from local town officials is, uh, A, we need to respect their authority more when it comes to town meetings, non-state elections. So if there's a blizzard that they can make a smart decision to, you know, uh, keep people safe in their town and still have decent voter turnout by maybe moving the town election a week or two if they need to. Uh, B, that we should look at ways to reduce lines. Some voting locations in New Hampshire get pretty long lines on Election Day, and some folks show up, see all the cars, see the lines, and they turn around and leave. Uh, That is a real loss. And we can use things like electronic voter checklists. This is not where it's networked or, you know, connected to the Internet. But instead of having, you know, A through L and M through T or whatever it is, uh, you know, instead of having three lines that move slowly, you can have one line that moves fast. It's not complicated. Little things like that can make everyone's lives easier. And yet we are not doing those things because we're pursuing a, a one-sided controversial political agenda instead. So for the second year in a row, we have experienced controversy around the scheduling of town elections because blizzards have interrupted town meetings. And after uh, the first time, And coming up for this year, uh, the Secretary of State essentially asserted his statewide authority to say, basically, I am the God when it comes to deciding whether a town meeting should or should not be held. Everybody answers to me. I'm the one who dictates when town meetings happen. Um, The town, the clerks have no ability to reschedule town meetings. And in fact, the attorney general's office sent a strongly worded threatening letter uh, to one town clerk who decided anyway to to move the date because, as she said, uh, I'm not going to endanger the citizens who live in my town by making them come out for these um, town elections. Um, We can move move the date. She did. And and, uh, the the hullabaloo, um, the hullabaloo continues. Um, uh, As you say, the town clerks, um, I think rightly, uh, want some local control over their local elections. 
um, and there seems to be no good reason why the Secretary of State can't co- help coordinate that without impeding that kind of local control, because after all, local control is the thing that New Hampshire's been all about. Um, uh, so, so that strikes me as a kind of interesting twist of thinking on the part of the current occupant of the office. Um, and I think of perhaps the greatest concern and something we began to touch on is the attempts to suppress voting in New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire is um, perhaps on the leading edge of a national effort uh, by, uh, frankly, um, I won't say shadowy, but but Republican-dominated, Republican control, and Republican-moneyed groups who want to uh, squeeze the ability of people to go out and vote because they believe that if they suppress the vote, let's say of college students in particular, um, who tend to vote uh, a little more on the progressive side of things, uh, that they will do better. It's a partisan attempt, a national partisan attempt to suppress vote. The vote that has has resulted in um, restrictions on the Voting Rights Act nationally it's, uh, and other kinds of measures, including the measures that New Hampshire uh, legislators in the, in the past session put forward to restrict the vote. Um, why would a secretary of state, why would a secretary of state want to support restricting the ability of anyone to vote in New Hampshire? Is it because um, uh, you really buy into this notion that it's the only way to control voter fraud when, as we've discussed, uh, there really is not a serious problem with voter fraud in New Hampshire? Um, uh, Why would anybody want to do that? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I think the irony is I don't think it's going to work the best way I know to get a college student to do anything is to tell them that a bunch of old people in power don't want them to do it. Well, I mean, so, yeah, and you work at a college. There may be some unintended consequences going on here. Um, but I think the problem is when you change our laws to make them more restrictive and create more bureaucracy and red tape, uh, that can have a lot of unintended harmful consequences, too. I, I had to get a, a new driver's license last summer. It took me two trips and two hours in order to do that. Life has enough bureaucracy and red tape already. Trying to add it to something which is our most fundamental constitutional right, uh, I do not think that that is – I don't think it should be a partisan issue. I think that that is an issue that all Americans should be standing up for. Um, And and it's interesting because the the first of the two issues you just asked about, the town meeting snow day thing – because that isn't a national agenda, a national political agenda that's being pushed on us the way efforts to restrict voting registration for eligible voters is. Uh, it's a genuine, true New Hampshire nonpartisan issue. Uh, and overwhelmingly, I have heard from uh, town clerks, city clerks uh, who saw this happen in neighboring towns. I've heard from local selectmen and, and others. You know, they recognize that having some level of local influence over town elections is important, that it probably makes more sense than someone in Concord making weather decisions for the entire state. I mean, many of us have kids in schools. We understand that, you know, what happens in Nashua might not be the same thing as what happens in, you know, Errol, New Hampshire. Uh, And so overwhelmingly across party lines, folks have come out and said, look, you, you shouldn't be so rigid 
and, and refuse to cooperate with towns that need to make smart public safety decisions for their own communities, especially considering this has happened before and especially considering the law is at best ambiguous on this. A year ago, this happened on town meeting day, and everyone said, oh, this is an amazing coincidence, can't never happen again. You know, and, and shame on all of us a little bit for not anticipating that and fixing it first. I mean, it's New Hampshire. We, it snows in April. The, but it snows in March. When it happened the second year in a row and no one in power had figured out how to fix this, and, and we had folks like in Londonderry, a town that has a town manager who uh, he, like me, ran for governor a couple of years ago. He was a Republican when he ran. Uh, he and I probably don't see eye to eye on some issues, but he went online and said, this is ridiculous that the state is telling us we can't move. You know, we had thousands fewer people show up than when we did move last year uh, because, you know, the law hasn't changed, but many towns did move last year and they were just told they couldn't this year. To me, when you see opportunities like that where there's common ground, where people, regardless of party lines, are agreeing based on what's right for their community, that that is the sort of thing you should really rally around as a state and try to respect. Because there are so many things in our lives that are too politicized and polarized and partisan enough. Let's find the things we can agree on and and try to make some change and cooperate better. And the fact that that isn't what's been happening and that's not the way the Secretary of State's office has operated, I think shows that there's a better way. Uh, Our law is, like I said, ambiguous at best. There is a clear law, 40-3, that states in statute that a town moderator can move a voting day because of a weather condition. There are other laws that have conflicting language with that. So at minimum, we could be more cooperative with the towns. But but if nothing else, let's try to change the law and make it more clear for people. And that's what I would support. We've been talking with Colin Van Ostern here on Off the Record with Paul Hodes on WKXLAM and FM, streaming live over the Internet, archived at ConcordNewsRadio.com. Colin, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on today. Folks, we're brought to you by the Birches at Concord, New Hampshire's first assisted living community designed specifically for those living with Alzheimer's, dementia, or other forms of memory impairment. Join a tour, celebrate life at the Birches. Call 224-9111. Don't go away. We'll be back after a short break to wrap up this edition of Off the Record with Paul Hodes.